so remuneration, I think, is one of those parts of every business, big or small, that is so contentious. And a mixture between an art, a science, luck, negotiation, and it's very emotive for both parties. It is a mixture between market-relatedness, whatever that means, and we can talk about that just now, affordability, whatever that means, productivity, and context. And so an individual with the same set of skills working in a big corporate might earn three times what they would earn in a small business and half what they might earn in a different country in a big corporate. It really depends on so many things. Hi, I'm Garrett Armstrong, and you're listening to a Razor's Edge podcast. That's the voice of Alon Reyes, CEO of Corp, and our guide during this hiring series. Alon's successes and failures have taught him lessons about hiring that he shares with the goal to help us grow as quickly and effectively as possible while avoiding expensive, possibly business-sinking employment mistakes. During this episode, we discuss the high cost of not thinking through your remuneration policies as deeply and clearly as you should. And so when you've got an organization, particularly that's grown and now is in multiple geographies, multiple countries, and you want the sense of what's egalitarian, what's right, what's equal, it's an even more contentious issue. So I'll give you an example. We as Rose Corp have different roles within in the business. We have a finance guide, which is generally a CA, an accountant, and we have a personal development guide, which generally comes from a coaching background. CAs are generally harder to find, they're more expensive, they're more in demand by corporates, and so we land up having to pay slightly more for a finance guide than we would for a personal development guide. So now how do you align that you've got two people in inverted commas at the same role, they've just got different versions of that role, and do you pay one person more and one person less? And then off I go to Morocco, because we went with one of uh, a potential big client there to set up Race Corp in Morocco, and we look around and we were in Casablanca, and I asked the question, well, have you got any coaches? And I said, well, yeah, we've got football coaches. So I said, no, well, I mean like uh, personal development coaches, and the person looked at me quizzically and didn't know what I was talking about. I said, like a psychologist. There are psychologists here, but uh, not not a lot. Is there any that work with business people directly to help them? Yes, there's one lady that does in the whole of Casablanca. I'm sure there might have been one or two more, but that's all he knew about. And they said, and how much would that person cost? And they gave me a number if we had to employ them full time. And they gave me a number. And then I said, well, finance people, accountants. Oh, no, plenty. Lots and lots of those. And the price of that individual was a third of this other individual supply. supply. And also culturally, in Casablanca or in Morocco, people don't go to psychologists. People don't go to have coaches. So you go to a different country and now you've got a whole different pragmatic thing to deal with, which is, you know, you want egalitarian or equal pay in South Africa. 
but I don't have equal supply and equal cost, neither here nor there, so how do you do that? So that's, a, that's a actually a very, very hard maze to navigate. Unfortunately, we didn't do the deal in Morocco until uh, this point in time, but it still had me you know, spinning in terms of how I was going to reconcile this problem. Alon's comments here have shown us just how complex this thing remuneration can be or become, especially if we are not actively looking at it, fleshing it out and structuring it properly. Let's begin here. So it's trying to find the nexus between three things is the simplest form. So you would try and have some sort of matrix of grading of where that role would fit in in the scheme of things. What do other people relatively at the same level earn? What's the market price? In other words, in order to attract somebody to come at that price, what would the price need to be? And the third thing is, what can I afford? And as a small business, that last piece is probably the most important piece is you cannot afford a lot and you certainly can't afford to compete with big corporates. Once we've worked through these details, how do we then attract the talent we need to grow our businesses, especially if what we can afford isn't quite matching market-related rates? So normally you'll find a distribution curve of people around remuneration, and they would generally fall into three classical areas. The person with little experience that wants to build experience, the person who is retired or in a, a situation where they don't want the stresses of a big corporate. And the third is the person who wants to build a, a, a massive corporate career. For small businesses, you will find that as a function of your ability to pay, you will generally find people early on in their journeys that are looking for the experience and the sense of belonging. And then you will find people who are toward the end of their careers who have got to the point where they're saying, I don't want the corporate lifestyle anymore. I want something different. I want to feel different about my work. And so a small business will give them that feeling and that, that uh, reward. I have in my business people who have left corporate to come to work at Rise Corp at 30%, 50% less than they were earning before because they were completely unhappy. And I've ha have people leaving us for corporate. So it's not just that everyone wants this, you know, some people want the money, they get the experience and then they become attractive and then they leave. Generally, your risk is the individuals in the first part of the distribution curve who are gaining the experience, they get the experience and they're now looking for mobility. And Generally, a small business doesn't have the levels of mobility, and a corporate does, so they would leave for that mobility. I've just had that now with somebody in one of our departments who's just left for that, and not a month later called me and said, it's a lot more money, but boy, am I unhappy here. Unfortunately for both of us, we have replaced that individual already. They can't come back and and that individual was a fantastic individual, but was looking for what he believed was a better life. Let's balance out any worries we are having about affordability with this. I've had experience where I've brought in people who are highly capable. In other words, they've got all the degrees, etc., cetera, um, but not productive. I've had people who are the opposite, who come in with l less 
capability, but are highly productive. And this, the, the ideal is somebody in between. You know, somebody who's is is highly productive with with the right capability, and you sort of work that out over time about what you, what you want and what you're prepared to pay for, and where where that sits in the in the cost spectrum. Somebody with high experience, high capability, generally paid more. Somebody with low experience, um, low capability, paid less. So I can't afford. So I take the person with less experience. I work out. You know that they say if you get what you pay for, so if you pay people low salaries, you'll get somebody who who fits that. That's not always true, just by the way. But then, so you pay less and you don't get the productivity, and then you respond by going and pay a huge amount, and then you don't get the productivity. So you have to find this like sweet spot where you're paying the right amount that you can afford and getting the productivity that you want, the output that you want. And that comes with experience, unfortunately, and a huge amount of mistakes. So coming back to your question around if that job description is is written, I would say, how many times has it been iterated? The more times it's been iterated, the more likely you'll pay more. Now, it's one thing to attract an employee, but retention also has a massive impact on remuneration. Yeah, the, the whole concept of retaining staff is also a contentious issue. This whole thing is contentious. Because if you have a, a business which has got no attrition, no one leaves, from a system's point of view, it becomes a redundant system. No, there's no new fresh thinking blood coming into the system. Everyone's getting more experience, but everyone's drinking their own Kool-Aid. If you have a business that's hemorrhaging 50 or 60% of its staff every year, well, then there, there's no history. There's no retention of knowledge. Everyone's just learning all the time and there's no amortization of the investment because everyone leaves before you've got a return on that investment. So you want to find the sweet spot before. Now I can't say what that is for everyone's industry, but a rule of thumb for me would be anywhere between 10 and 20% of your staff leaving in total. And when I say in total, I'm talking about for natural reasons like retirement or, God forbid, death, etc., and for upward mobility or people moving along because the time has come to an end. So when you're sitting around 10 to 20%, if you think about a fifth of your organization is being refreshed every year, plus there is growth. So there's attrition and then there's growth, bringing new energy, new thinking, a new ideas to the business, it's manageable. Take that to 50%, it's financially terrible for the business. For those entrepreneurs who've got slightly bigger businesses here, who have got businesses with departments that are tiered and have got a level of hierarchy, I think what's important in the remuneration is to describe how that remuneration works and how you move to the next tier, what does progress look like, and what do those people then earn. So it's aspirational, it's understood that if I have this amount of experience under my belt or achieve this amount of target or whatever the case may be, I am eligible for a promotion. You would certainly not make that a fait accompli, that that's something that is set in stone, but you would make it as a path that is possible on these triggers. So you, people understand what they need to do in order to progress. 
and then it would be at your discretion as uh, the head of department or head of the organization to provide those growth opportunities for individuals and what would be the commensurate remuneration. The other thing around remuneration is non-financial and financial remuneration that is not salary. For example, medical aid, retirement packages, pension, all those kinds of additional benefits that come with a job. Most small businesses cannot afford to have a pension fund. Most small businesses cannot afford to even pay medical aid or contribute to medical aid. But if you can, you should in order to retain your staff. But if you can't, you shouldn't. And I see so many businesses that are trying to compete by providing medical aid and all these other benefits, and they literally can't afford to provide them and they go insolvent as a result. So once again, it comes to affordability and you have to look at the total cost to company of an individual, not just their salary, it's the total cost to company, everything in. What we did in Race Corp in the area, we had a gym. So people had free access to a gym. Uh, we, you know, you talk about culture and, and people being much happier in the environment as part of the, the deal. So you look around, what is the total package? What is the total remuneration? It's not just financial, it's also non-financial. Let's recap. There are three things to look at when starting your journey the role and its relative pay within the context of your company, market rates, and what you can afford. Depending on what you can afford, it may pay dividends to focus your efforts on finding the best talent within a younger group that are looking for experience, or within an older group where they are looking for a workplace that offers more purpose and meaning. We're looking for a combination of hard work and capability. Too much of either of these means that the person we employ may not be as effective or productive as we might have hoped. Staff retention is a mixed bag of interesting considerations. On one hand, this can mean you retain highly effective staff that understand their roles and the organization. These are individuals you don't mind paying well. It can, however, also mean that no new thinking comes into the organization and your business stagnates. The opposite is also a problem with little to no return on money invested in attracting talent because they leave too quickly. And this means that the business never really finds its way to maximum performance and output. Important to note is how the compound effect of annual increases can result in salaries that are way above market norms. And our final point before we hear Alon describing what he believes the art of remuneration is is that remuneration is often thought of as just money in the bank rather than it being seen as the whole package, the full cost to company. But, a warning, be careful what you offer because it can sink you. Here's a final word from Alon. For me, the art of remuneration, when you're an artist in it, is when you find somebody where you want to give them an increase before they articulate that they want an increase. It's about the fact that you have employed well, because you can't have the conversation about the art of remuneration if you don't talk about the art of employing well. And that's really what the series is about. It's about finding the right person who fits a role, is aligned to the, the organization, to the culture, and delivers more than you expect. I mean, that's the 
the perfect employee. If you find that individual, I think the art is when you feel actually, I'm not paying this person enough. And your conversation with them is, I really want to up your salary because I feel you are underpaid for what I'm getting. Those moments have been the best moments for me in the remuneration space, which is, as I said at the beginning of this particular podcast, is highly contentious and very emotive. And when you are in that situation where you calling somebody in and saying, listen, I feel you're being underpaid. It's incredibly emotional for both individuals because it's a form of recognition and you feel good, they feel good and it's the right thing to do. Yeah, that would be the, for me, the ultimate art. If you have any questions or thoughts you'd like to share related to this episode or hiring in general, please feel free to share these on the Racecorp page on your favorite social media platform please use the hashtag avoidinghiringmistakes to help us locate it more easily. Alternatively, you can make contact with us using the options found on racecorp.com. My name is Gareth Armstrong, and I'll see you in the next episode.